It's always a blessing to be able to lift our voices together as we've just done tonight to sing these very touching, very compelling, very moving songs that we have. Songs about the great abode beyond. Songs about the nature of our faith and the needfulness of it. I trust that as we have prayed and as we have engaged in the other acts of service, we also, as Brother Gary just prayed along with us, certainly for his guidance as we study a part of his word together tonight. We will be studying from Proverbs chapter 16, so might I invite you to turn to that location as we give some thought to one verse in particular that closes that 16th chapter of the book of Proverbs. Certainly in fairness, as we have been reading in Proverbs somewhat recently, we appreciate that in this particular book is so many brief statements, short statements, statements that set before us what is God's ideal his instruction for a life that is as it ought to be. May I suggest that one of the things that seems to occur to us as we live our daily walks in life is sometimes the impressiveness attached to a given person's dedication, devotion, to physique and physicality of the body. Maybe you and I are aware of those who clearly have invested so many hours to lift weights, to engage in other activities, and the fruits of those labors are evident. They're muscular individuals. They're individuals who have made a great deal of consideration relative to the overall well-being physically of the body. Sometimes that impressiveness maybe leads us to wonder with interest about verses like those we're about to study tonight. For we find in the Word of God, especially in Proverbs, some statements as there are some things better than that. And it's not that the Word of God is saying those things are wrong, and it's not that it's asserting that such a pursuit in and of itself is evil, but it does imply that if we overlook these things better than that, then we are in error. What are some of those things better than that which is of that physical strength arena? Proverbs 16 brings us to appreciate some of them. We will focus on one in particular. Maybe as we build up to that point, might I encourage you to think with me about some of these avenues that seemingly are so common in the book of Proverbs. You may well notice how often the writer uses the word better. It's almost as if he wishes us to know certainly that good is one thing, but better is even better. And we should never overlook what's better in reference to what's good, but rather pursuing ultimately that which is the matter better. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 11, wisdom is better than rubies. And so although having an appreciation for rubies and jewelry and ornaments of that character in and of itself has its proper place to forsake wisdom, to neglect wisdom, to overlook wisdom is in fact a great error indeed. You'll also notice another one in Proverbs 15, verse number 16. The appreciation, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. I suspect many of us have some kind of experience with that very matter. There may have been be a little less than what otherwise could be, but if it's enjoyed without trouble, without disunity, without the problems that might well be attached otherwise, we appreciate how sweet that little amount is. You might also notice quickly another one in Proverbs 16, verse number 8, one that sounds very similar to that. 
Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Isn't it amazing sometimes what can be procured and what can be obtained, but at the expense of one's integrity, at the expense of what is the lawful and correct way to obtain it? Here the Proverbs writer tells us, doesn't he, that even in verse number 8, even if it's a little, if it's obtained with righteousness, if it's obtained with integrity, if it's obtained in a way that is in harmony with God's will, how great is that matter and how much better it is. Certainly, we might look at one more with briefness. In Proverbs 27, we read a very brief statement, very short indeed. Verse number 5 of that chapter, Open rebuke is better than secret love. You and I may have to ponder that one, but certainly the point is easy enough to be taken, isn't it? When someone loves you or me enough to openly rebuke what is a mistake, what is an error, what should be disciplined... That is a better state of affairs than if that person has a secret love to us. They don't love us enough to tell us what that mistake is, what that error is. Maybe in that light we can begin to see how often that word better appears in this very Old Testament book. But you'll notice there's another word that appears frequently as well. It is that word anger. It's as though Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, had in mind... How keen can be the appreciation of anger. How often it may raise its head. The kinds of problems it can bring. I've just chosen a very few. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You'll notice the distinction between soft answer and grievous words. You and I obviously are encouraged to be those of soft answer. You'll notice some other things about anger. Proverbs 27, 4. Anger is outrageous. A very intriguing phrase, no doubt, but anger is described as outrageous. It so often is that which is beyond the matter of reason. It's such that quite often it's prompted by what ultimately should be left behind. Let's put those two things together and ask about this. Proverbs 16, as we mentioned earlier, having thought about the word better and having thought some about the word anger, let us listen to the ancient writer in verse 32 of Proverbs 16. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. I've tried to write just a few very short statements about the thrust and the nature of that. But one of the, uh, the obvious matters is, what does the original language suggest? May I be quick to point out, even in looking at the original Hebrew, there's really no problem understanding the passage. It reads very much like it does in English. And with that in mind, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And then furthermore... He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Consider these with me. The last part of that verse then asserts that the one who rules his spirit, and the actual initial thrust of that is the one who has his emotions in control, the one who has his emotions imprisoned. That person is said to be better than one that captures a city. In the ancient era, the capturing of a city was a very noble activity in many ways. It was often, of course, that which David gave his finest men. It was often which Solomon did the same. 
And now to hear Solomon say, the one who rules his spirit, the one who controls his emotions and has them imprisoned so that they get not away from him, that kind of man is better, stronger than the one who captures a city. What about the first part of the verse? He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. There again is that description of one who is physically strong and physically capable, and yet the writer here says that the one who is slow to anger is better than that. Being slow to anger is then a frequent topic that we shall return to time and again this evening. It is with that in mind, why don't we close that slide and observe other passages in this book highlight the genuine, true wisdom and strength that accords to being slow to anger and being one who does have his emotions in capture or at least imprisoned. Amazingly, as you close that slide with me, you'll notice that one final thought. It does seem, as often as that's mentioned in Proverbs, that the very strong hint is this isn't always easy. And I suspect we each knew that. It can be a challenge, isn't it, to keep one's emotions in check, to not allow one's anger to rage too quickly, to understand that one's temper, one's emotions, one's matter of dealing should be held in such that it is being ruled by one's own thoughts and processes. What about you and me? Is there work that needs to be done in this area of life? Maybe with those in mind, we're ready to pursue our study. And may we begin it like this. What about a description, first of all, that seems so fitting, using the book of Proverbs as a frequent matter to, to guide us along this way? First of all, you'll notice that slow to anger stands in the verse before us, Proverbs 14, 29. It stands opposed to hasty of spirit. And those do seem exactly opposite, don't they? To be hasty of spirit is just the opposite in many ways of being slow to anger. And yet, in Proverbs 14, 29, we notice that to be hasty of spirit is exactly the exaltation of folly. Folly. To behave foolishly. To behave in a way that really brings one in a position of acting far less than the ideal. Have you yourself or known someone who, in a rage of immediate anger, acted in a way that not only was disgraceful, but often was such that it damaged what was so hard, if not impossible, to recover? Look at that from another perspective with me. Proverbs 14, 17 quickly reminds us, doesn't it, that to be soon angry is cataloged as foolishness. The person who is soon angry... Who's allowed, who allows him or herself to be angry with almost immediate thrust, the writer says that that is foolishness. That takes on a heightened appreciation in Proverbs 24, 9, when their foolishness, the thought of it, is sin. And thus, clearly putting those two verses together, you and I have a strong warning to not be soon to anger. For if so, it's foolishness, and foolishness is sinful. It thus behooves us to ask, so how do we control our emotion? How do we rule it in such a way that our anger does not immediately appear in this way? Maybe that last thought on that section points us to this was not just an Old Testament appreciation. It also appears in the very heart of the New Testament, doesn't it? 
in the book of James, the opening chapter of that noble letter. James 1, beginning at verse 19. Wherefore, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That sounds very much like an application of the book of Proverbs, doesn't it? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. As you and I think about that impression, we have already seen verses in Proverbs that point us in that very direction. Maybe that leads us then to the next practical application. So in the interest of ruling my spirit, and in the interest of being slow to anger, the book of Proverbs then gives us this practical suggestion. Give the matter some consideration first. That is to say, think before we speak too much. Look at some of these verses that encourage us along that line. Proverbs 15, verse number 28. That occurs near the close of the previous chapter, the one we're studying this evening. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. And you can easily see with me the distinction between the two portions of that verse. The heart of the righteous, that person who is attuned to the frequency of God, the person who is desirous of being pious and godly, the text says, the heart of that person studies to answer. That word studieth, as you can see, it means to meditate. It means to imagine. It means to muse. It truly means to give a measure of serious consideration to that which is at hand. But you'll see the latter part of the verse reads it like this. But the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. That's again Proverbs 15, 28. There is a grave difference between the two, isn't there? The heart of the righteous studies to answer. On the other hand, the mouth of the wicked pours out all of these things. As it does so, you can easily see the difference in these two perspectives. Perhaps another verse that really does help us appreciate that even more deeply. Proverbs 18, verse number 13. Just a few chapters forward, the writer now reminds us, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. There we notice that if a person proceeds to answer without having the facts, proceeds to answer without hearing the fullness of the matter at hand, the inspired writer says it is a shame and a folly to that man. Doesn't that indicate to us the needfulness of listening carefully? to listen with an earnest intent to understand the matter being described, and only then to put together an intent for answer. Those two verses maybe bring us to Proverbs 29, verse number 20. You notice in this location, we have these inspired words. To answer before hearing, isn't it true that that's one of the major reasons that miscommunication takes place? Ultimately, miscommunication is one of the greatest human problems, isn't it? Individuals that even though they're both speaking English, let's say, nonetheless, there isn't a conveyance of information. And sometimes it's because one thought he understood but didn't and proceeded to answer before he knew all the information. You and I are admonished to listen with care. And in so doing, that would prompt us in readiness to then provide a more complete answer. 
some additional thoughts. As you and I listen with care, that means that preconceptions can be a problem. We think we know what the person's describing, but we really don't. Those preconceptions perhaps taken us, take us to a scene that took place in 2 Samuel chapter 10. That was in the days of David, wasn't it? There, you may remember that this scene was such a rather tragic one in many ways. Hanun was such that he, in fact, was uh, his father had been ill. David, in the kindness of his heart and out of a sincere desire to be neighborly, sent some individuals with his blessings thankful for, for the recovery of the family. And yet, oddly enough, when David's messengers came to the place, they thought they were spies. They chose to treat them with such shameful character, cut off a large amount of their clothes. Basically, their, their posterior side was shown in public. And as such, it was a disgraceful thing. Today, it seems that doesn't bother a lot of people, but it sure did then. In as much as those individuals, they were sent back, David sent, had them sent to a rather private place until their beards could grow back. You notice all that happened because they thought the men were spies. They weren't. They genuinely came with gifts, with blessings, with David's best wishes. Miscommunication. On that occasion, as it brought about that kind of thing, you'll notice... We even see in John 7 in the New Testament a fact that courts of law operate as if first information must be shared, it is shared before the witnesses, it is shared before the judge, and only after clearness is understood is the verdict rendered. Verdicts aren't rendered before all the testimony is heard. What about as we come to yet another lesson? After we've just studied this one, namely, consider first... What about the matter of not talking too much too quickly? I found this one a bit intriguing as the inspired writer presented it like this. I'd like you to notice it as we read it together. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 19, we read this rather interesting turn of words. Proverbs 10, verse number 19. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. In the multitude of words, there can well be an occurrence of sin. Isn't that true when our emotions are raging with such power and might? We speak so quickly and often what we say really does become sinful. We tend to be insulting. We tend to denigrate or downgrade those before us. We tend to act without the grace and mercy conducive to the situation. He says there, those that refrain their lips are the ones that are acting wisely. That really can be challenging to control our emotions, and yet we're admonished and urged to develop that, that ability. Another passage, Proverbs 26, verse number 4. You'll notice with me there a very powerful parallel passage. It begins like this. Answer a, not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. So if someone has acted foolishly before us, accusing or otherwise acting in that way, and we proceed to act just like them, we're no better than they in that regard. We're admonished there, don't respond to a fool in the same way they've responded to us. I realize, again, that's challenging, but isn't it a needful matter? 
Isn't it important matter to encourage that godly and righteous perspective in all ways? Maybe one final passage along that line would be that very one found in Proverbs 17, verse 27. Sometimes the hurtfulness of words is extraordinarily damaging, so much so that it's difficult to repair the damage done, and even if so, it may take a very, very long time to accomplish it. All of those things, so far, considering first, and not being too quick with our language and words, they do point us to yet another consideration. When it is time to speak, it must be very important to speak only the truth. This is not a time for embellishment. It's not a time to shade the truth in such a way that it favors our perspective. For if so, any conversation later is almost surely bound to be problematic. What's the truth on the subject? What is the truth of the matter? To share that, to say this is what happened, may we say the person might not believe it. They might think that you're trying to deceive them or make an advantage over them, but the truth must always be what is stated. Look at these verses, if you would, with me. In Proverbs 8, verse number 7. Much earlier in the book of Proverbs, we read this interesting passage. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. To speak that which is true, and to do so with confidence and assurance. Notice the next verse, Proverbs 26, verse number 5, the one just after the one we noted a moment ago. In that verse, we were told to answer not a fool according to his folly. This one says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. When the opportune time to point out that which is a mistake or that which is, of course, in kindness, we need to be ready to do that, but ever with the truth. If the truth is our guide in that regard, you'll notice these other verses that naturally follow. Well, isn't it true that the Lord demands us to pursue what is the truth? In Ephesians 4.25, Let every man speak the truth with his neighbor. That is a quotation from Zechariah 8. And so, whether it be Old Testament or New, the truth must be that which is asserted, that which is stated. You'll notice one other passage in Proverbs 24, 28, highlighting the needfulness not to be guilty of that issue of deception. It seems as we're studying these matters tonight about trying to be slow to anger, We've learned some very practical matters so far, likely matters not shocking to us, frankly. But as we continue onward, I trust that you'll understand that the application of them leads us to some of the other things the writer in Proverbs says. Self-control. Have you known someone who was very quick to, quote, fly off the handle? Someone who was very quick to lose, quote, his or her temper? The damage, again, can be very notable. Look at one verse with me, if you would, that challenges us to ever be of a mindset not to be those who allow that to happen. Near the close of Proverbs 25, especially verse number 28, the last verse in that chapter, He that hath no power over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. 
the comparison is very intriguing, isn't it? Let's read it again, and then let's see if we can understand the comparison that's being made. He that hath no rule over his own spirit. So the one who does allow his emotions to go off without control, the one who does allow his temper, his anger to rage with immediacy, he that hath no rule over his own spirit. So, in that comparison we made earlier, is not imprisoning his emotions. He says that individual is like a city that is broken down. When you and I think about a city that's broken down, when we think about a particular city or village or hamlet or town that's broken down, we appreciate what no effort has been expended toward. We appreciate that it's been left on its own. There's been no discipline given with respect to it. It is allowed, if you please, to make its own way, isn't it? He goes on to identify it that it's without walls. Notice it has no protection. In the ancient time, those walls about that city afforded protection from the enemy, and it provided security and safety to those within. The person who does not rule his spirit doesn't have protection from what's outside. Anybody can seemingly say what seemingly amounts to so little, and this person reacts far too quickly, far too improperly, far too inappropriately, and thus the whole matter is lost, just like a city broken down. It's important not to let the city be broken down, is it? It's important not to let the walls fall through, if you will. You'll notice as we continue that thought, our character seemingly is reflected with power. If you and I thus are too quick to respond or we do not control our emotions, our character's broken down. Others will know that we're an unreasonable person, that we can't be reasoned with or instructed. It is rather amazing how the comparison seems so entire, doesn't it? Perhaps one final thought. How much the Word of God encourages you and me to be just the opposite to that, namely one who is self-controlled. Isn't it true that there's frequently a New Testament word that's used in the King James translation at least? It's the word temperance. If you're reading in the American Standard or the ESV, likely it's in translated directly as self-control. And yet you and I are encouraged and even demanded that we have it. In 2 Peter 1, for instance, beginning in verse 5, the inspired writer said, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. It is to be a matter added to your Christian life and walk as well as mine. And as we seek and strive to add it, we will be more and more like one who is not broken down in character, but yet one who does have his rule over his emotions, over his spirit. Perhaps in light of that, you could also appreciate that text of Galatians 5.23. That does occur just after the set of verses we often call the works of the flesh. We notice that those works are very evil in the sense that no one wants them because they are not allowed into heaven. But just after that are the so-called fruits of the Spirit. As often as you and I reflect upon them, notice one of the fruits of the Spirit is temperance. Self-control, the ability to have enough mental capability with strength and courage of discipline, to maintain one's spirit in control, that takes a great deal of courage and it takes a great deal of effort and labor, doesn't it? I'm reminded of Jesus, aren't you? 
There was one who that previous night he'd gone without sleep. He was tried in mockeries of trials a number of times that night. He was slapped in the face. He was beaten and smitten. And yet all the while, when then a pilot addressed him, he could say, Thou sayest. And even at times, he could maintain complete silence. How easy would it have been to, with quickness, with immediacy, to answer in a very raging kind of character where one's spirit would have flown to all kinds of directions? And yet our Savior, with the capability of restraining His emotions, we find that true of Paul in Acts chapter 23. Here he himself was on trial before the Sanhedrin court. And remember, Paul, as a Pharisee in prior days, he knew well the matters that they found in in discord. He could, with very comfort and calm, he could describe matters. And you notice, Paul, in no way, despite the fact they slapped him on the face, he answered with calmness. Could you and I do that? Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 3, that if you're smitten on one cheek, turn the other one. That's not easy to do, is it? And yet, if you and I would rule our emotions, rule our spirit, we would then be like this person in Proverbs 16, 32, who is so highly commended. As you and I come to number 6, it is true that there are times that we can almost indirectly be those who encourage contention. I say that for the following reason. There are times you and I are instructed that even apart from words, we can convey information non-verbally. The tone of our voice, the circumstances surrounding the disposition of our body. Are we conveying contention even though perhaps we aren't doing it with our language? The writer of the Proverbs even encourages us along that line as well. In Proverbs 18, verse number 6, we read the following passage. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. The latter part of that verse, his mouth calleth for it. You'll notice that perhaps the intonation of the voice, the inflection thereof, could be a part that encourages even what ultimately leads to strokes. Beyond that, notice Proverbs 25, verse number 8. Yet one more time, the writer says, Go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. There are times that we have a plan of attack in mind, and yet when we come face to face, it is not the situation we thought it was. If we haven't thought it through carefully, we may find ourselves rather disgraced. We may find that we're the ones in the, in the wrong and our opponent is the one in the right. No wonder, he says in that verse, don't go forth to strive hastily. Do you and I have our spirit under control? I would urge us that all these verses suggest that we need to be paving the way of peace, not the other way around. As often as the Bible encourages us toward that way of peace... Maybe it's fair to say that that text in Romans 14, 19 tells us that the kingdom of God, the church of which you and I are a part, is intended toward peace. And so are you and I lovers of peace? Are we serving the God of heaven in the gospel of peace? Romans 10, verses 16 and following. 
it is true in light of all those discussions of peace that we can close that slide with this thought. What an example we find in the opening book of the Bible. The days of Abraham and Lot. Here was a circumstance in which their herdmen were striving. They were involved in contention. And yet those that were their masters, namely Abraham and Lot, primarily Abraham, knew that that state of affairs was not good. It was not ideal. And thus he made the offer. Lot, you choose which way you go. I'll go the other. That there be no strife between us. Can't we be thankful when there's no strife between us? In the congregation, in our physical families, for when there is strife, what a different circumstance and scenario there is entirely. As we've looked at those six lessons to this point, one by one, all of them have been very practical, very instructive toward our desire of appreciating verse 32 of Proverbs 16. I would invite us to look at that passage one more time. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. We each have been presented a biblical challenge tonight, a challenge to rule our spirit, to be slow to anger. I trust that as we strive to mature and be better and better at that, that we will more and more be the individual who exemplifies the beauty of texts like this one. And so it is, as we look then to genuine strength, it's fine to be physically strong. The text says it's better, Proverbs 16, 32, to have this strength of which we're speaking tonight. Are you and I that better individual? Are we that better person? I trust that we each are. If there are things like this that you and I need to work on in life, let's not wait to start. Why not start tonight? If you have offended someone in a public way, make it right with them. Matthew chapter 5 encourages you to do that very thing. If you need the prayers of brethren for strength and encouragement, we'd be delighted to pray for you. If you aren't a member of the body of Christ, if you are not a Christian at all, then again, why do you delay? You need the help of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be slow to anger. You need His assistance day by day to, con to control and rule your spirit and emotions. But rest assured, with His help, you can control your tongue. You can keep your emotions in check. You can, in fact, proceed every way, every day, in the way that you should. The gospel invitation at this point is extended. If this would be an appropriate time, and certainly it is, for you to respond if that need exists, there is a group of people excited to celebrate with you tonight over your return to the faith or your entrance into it the first time. That plan of salvation, you need to believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If you've done that, but you need to come back to your first love, there will never be a better time than tonight. The 22nd day of June, 2014, what a great day for you it could be. If tonight we could be of help to you, don't delay, but come even now while together we stand and sing.